Today's shiur is Pesachim, Dafnun Gimel. We are on Dafnun Bet, uh, 14 lines from bottom of the Amud. It says, Rabbi Eli cuts Kafnayata Dishvi'it. So Rabbi Eli cut down a tree that had like unripened uh, fruit on it. And, spe- and, so, uh, and specifically unripened uh, dates on it. Okay? During, sh- during Shemitah. Now he wanted the wood from the tree. Okay, so the question was, how could he do that? You're not supposed to destroy Perot Shvi'it. Now we know that later on in the process, maybe you have to get rid of some of the Perot Shvi'it, especially according to the Rambam. But at least at the beginning, you're not supposed to destroy the trees and destroy the fruit. You're supposed to leave them available for the Chayot Sadev, for the animals, for the people. So how could it be that he chopped down a tree that had Maybe you'll tell me it's because these were unformed fruits. They were not fully formed fruits, and that's why he cut it down. But, uh, that halacha only applies when the fruit has formed, and here it was kafnayata uh, means unformed. They were unripe, and that's why he was allowed to cut it down. Didn't Rav Nachman say in the name of Rabbi Baravua that the sort of the shells of the of the fruit, meaning the initial part of the fruit that covers the fruit when it's in its early stages, uh, when it comes from orla, it's prohibited. Right, emat hava bekufrei. So it's you. He said that even like in the early stage when the fruit is forming, there's like a shell around it. There's something covering it. You know, there's like a soft thing around certain fruits. Said that's also considered to be a fruit because it serves the fruit. Like you could think of like, uh, for instance, I'm just using it. This is not what they're talking about, but like the white. Uh, inside an orange, you know, the white peel that's soft. Like, so in the early stages of a fruit, it has something like that around it, and then eventually it might, you know, as it grows more, either that falls away or, or a peel develops or whatever. But he's saying that in the, um, that, that, that we see, Rav Nachman said in the name of Rabba Baravua, that these sort of like, shells or protective coverings of the fruit that are only there in the earliest stage of the fruit, are still considered like fruit with respect to orla, the first three years of a tree uh, giving uh, fruit, that you're not allowed to eat them. So you see that the kakarela uperein, even though it's bekufre, even though it's in the earliest stages of the fruit, he still calls it a fruit. In other words, so what? So the fact that these fruits, these dates were unripened on the tree does not allow Rabbi Eli to chop down the tree. That's the point. So now, because you see that unripened fruit is still called fruit. So it says, that's not necessarily true because Rav Nachman Damak Rabbi Yossi. Rav Nachman is following the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Simadar Asur Mepnei Sheuperi. That he said that Smadar is prohibited. Smadar is the most unripened grape. In other words, the, uh, you know, the tiniest grape at the earliest stage of its development. That's called Smadar. He said that is considered a fruit. Okay, for the for the purposes of Ola. The rabbis disagreed. The rabbis disagreed. So, so too, Rabbi Eli is following the rabbis. The rabbis say that a fruit at its earliest, earliest stage of development is not considered a fruit until it's fully ripened. And therefore, they would say that Rabbi Eli chopping down the tree is okay. Whereas, uh, it's true that Rav Nachman would disagree, but that's because he's following Rabbi Yossi. So the Gemara says, You're making a very, very broad dis- uh, 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 claim that the rabbis say that the early stages of fruit, uh, they're not considered fruits. They only said that in one case. They didn't say that Bishar Ilanot. They didn't say that in the case of all fruits. They only said that in the case specifically 
of grapes. Because he's talking about smadar. Smadar is a grape. It's not any fruit in the earliest stage. So therefore, you, you can't make a general uh, claim that uh, the Chachamim disagreed with Rabbi Yossi in other cases. Because now we learned in Mishnah, when do you have to stop chopping down trees? During Shemitah, according to Beit Shammai, as soon as the fruit start, and actually Rashi says it's not even the fruit, as soon as the leaves start growing in the season, Rashi says, um, on the tree, you have to stop chopping down the trees, according to Beit Shammai. Others say, no, Mishiotziu means as soon as you see the smallest, in, you know, uh, evidence of any kind of fruit growing, you're not allowed to chop it down because it's considered destroying the fruits of Shemitah. Okay, but the Beit Hillel says, when it comes to carobs, when they become chains, because the way that they hang on the tree is kind of like connected with each other. When it comes to grapevines, when they start to form small grapes, okay? And when it comes to olives, when they start to grow a little bit, meaning when they start to show a shape, the part on the top starts to develop in the olive that you see that it's a distinct olive, so you know that the olives are growing, right? When every other kind of tree, as soon as it starts to show any evidence of fruit growing, you're not allowed to cut it down. So there are certain fruits where the rabbis have a specific Beit Hillel representing the Chachamim because of Halachavals Beit Hillel. So there are certain kinds of fruits where there is a specific cutoff, but most fruits, it's just as soon as they start to show any evidence of any growth, you're not allowed to cut them down. And in fact, according to the way, the way Rashi is reading it, it means as soon as they start showing leaves for the season, you're not allowed to cut them down from that point. And by the way, Rabbi Yassi said that when it's talking about the, uh, talking about the grapes, it's called, talking about boser. It's not talking about smadar. Boser is the middle stage. Smadar is the baby stage. So Betilel is not agreeing with, with Rabbi Yossi. This is not Rabbi Yossi's opinion where the smallest grape, the smadar, is already considered a fruit. No, it's boser. It's a little bit bigger than that already um, that we're talking about, right? So uh, which, where he said, Hu girua, he said, Hu boser, hu girua, hu pola lavan. That the, uh, the boser and the girua and the pola lavan are the same thing. Pola lavan, are you telling me the white bean is the same thing as a grape? No, ela e lavan. Meaning when it becomes the size of the white bean, that's the sign that it is a sufficient size of grape. The point is that you see here that the Chachamim do not make a blanket statement that early stage fruit is not considered fruit. They actually say early stage fruit is considered fruit. They have certain exceptions, the olives, the grapes, maybe the, uh, uh, the carobs where there's a bigger, there, there's a higher standard to be considered fruit. But everything else, as soon as it starts growing, it's considered fruit. So how did Rabbi Eli chop down the tree? Okay, so the answer, so it says, Now again, just to make the point clear, who is the one who says that smadar, that the earliest stage, stage one of the growth of the grape is not considered a grape, but stage two is? That's obviously Rabbanan. That's not Rabbi Yossi, but it's the rabbis. In other words, they're proving that don't think that this statement of Beit Hillel is going according to Rabbi Yossi. It's not. It's going according to the Chachami. And still it says that all other fruits, Mishotziu, from the point that they start to grow any fruit, that is the point that, they, uh, that, that you're not allowed to chop them down for the, uh, in terms of, uh, in, in terms of, uh, Shemitah. So how did Rabbi Eli do it? El Rabbi Eli, it says that what he did was, there were certain kinds of trees that never grew, um, any kind of a, um, any kind of fruit. And he, he calls them, I don't know much about, I, don't, I, I wish I knew more actually. It's something I'm interested in and I, I want to educate myself better, but I, I don't know much about trees and about botany and things like that. Um, but apparently there are different kinds of, 
uh, different kinds of, uh, of date palms, and some of them he calls zcharim, and some he calls nekevot, and zcharim are the ones that they don't produce any uh, fruit, and nekevot, zcharim literally means, it means male, right? They don't produce fruits, and, uh, or maybe they just produce like, uh, you know, something that looks like fruit. The yeah, but that does, yeah. And then there's something called nikevot uh, that they actually produce, produce fruit. So he says that was what he cut down. So what it has on it, like those things that are growing on it are never going to be. It's not that he cut off the growth of the fruit. It ne- it's just like berries that never will become real fruit that are, were hanging on the tree. And that's why he was allowed to cut it down. But if it had been real fruit, even in the earliest stage, he wouldn't have been able to cut it down. Wow. Um, it says, wow. And the ochel here doesn't mean, a, doesn't mean food, but it means a place okay um the um we can eat the grapes until the the tresses basically you know the trellises it says actually is the is the fancy word right the trellises right right he says it in french but i think in english also we say trellis right the hanging of the vines of the uh of the grape in this place called ochel and as we said before that this that the um the the requirement is that you can only eat the fruits of the shemitah up to the point that there is still fruit available in of that type to the animals in the field, right? So it says, until this area called Ochel, which Rashi says some people have the uh, language of Avel is the name of the place, like Avel Kramim. Either way, this certain area ha- was known, I guess, for being the last one to have grapes still hanging on these, you know, on these vines. Once those are gone, then it's considered gone, right? And if there is any place that happens to have grapes even later than that, that's fine too. It's just a rule of thumb. Tekoa is the place that we go by for olives. Rashi explains that it was famous for its olives, famous for olive oil. And in fact, olive oil was associated with wisdom. And therefore, the people in Tekoa were very wise because we see that Yoav ben Suriah sent to Tekoa to bring Isha Chachama, to bring a wise woman who must have been eating a lot of olive oil, I guess. Right? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Ad shel Gush Chalav, According to, according to Rabbi Eliezer, we don't go by Tekoa, but we go by a place called Gush Chalav. Um, such to the point that a poor person will go out and he will not find not at the trunk of the tr- not on the branches of the tree not at the trunk anything to gather in other words that means that everything is gone so according to Rabbi Eliezer we go by uh, by that area even though um, he says that there also were a lot of olives in that area and um, and and so that's what we go by um, he won't find he won't find he won't find even a quarter of a kav of any olives left they can eat the figs at fage bet heni we can we can eat figs until the um, the figs of uh, this place called bet heni is uh, are depleted Rashi says the figs of that area Okay, Amar Actually, the, the figs from that place were only mentioned with respect to Maaser. Because it says that the figs of the, um, of Betini and the, and the dates of Tovina, they are obligated in Maaser, but not because that is a rule of thumb with respect to, um, with respect to to Shemitah, because actually, uh, seemingly, those figs and dates were very small. They were not fully ripened dates. So the Tanakama was saying, even if there's a place where they have like some kind of dates, even though they're low quality, they're not fully formed, they're not fully formed figs, you could still say that there's some in the field. According to Rabbi Yudan, no, it has to be the last place that has the fully formed figs and the fully formed dates. But with regard to Maser, it doesn't matter. Obviously, if you have even smaller figs, smaller dates, you have to separate the Maser. But in terms of m- making a, a standard for 
Shemitah, we go by the place that has fully formed figs and dates. Uh, we can eat dates until the uh, dates in Tzohar are over. Um, are finished up. We saw this before that we can only rely on the dates that hang from the branches, but not the ones that are surrounded by thorns, because fruits surrounded by thorns are not considered accessible, um, and therefore they're not they're not accessible to humans and they're not accessible to the animals either. So, Oromini, we raise an objection to all of this. All of these are using as a rule of thumb to determine when we have to stop eating a certain fruit when it was available in certain location. It's going by geography, but there's a different brightness. Pesach. We said that we can eat grapes until Pesach. We're talking about during the Shemitah year because we assume that they'll be gone by Pesach. You can eat olives until all the way until Shavuot. You can actually eat figs all the way to Chanukah and Bitmarim Ada Purim. And when it comes to uh, when it comes to dates, you have until Purim. And Rav Bevai said, Rabbi Yochanan Machlif. He would switch the last two, and he actually said that dates you have until Chanukah and uh, and and figs you have until Purim. But the point is that they're using a time a time deadline of a holiday instead of talking about, oh, what about are there figs available in such and such place or in such and such geographical location? Instead of using locations, they're using times. So how do we work that out? So it says, really the answer is that they're both the same. In other words, when do the, uh, do the let's say, um, grapes run out in the last geographical location? Around Pesach time. When do the zeti, when do the olives run out in the last look in Tekoa or whatever, whatever place or that you're looking at? Uh, around Shavuot time. In other words, it's really the same measurement. It's just giving you two ways of being able to tell. Alternatively, and that's, in other words, we needed that brighter to talk about the geographical places because it's telling you another important thing that all of these are a rule of thumb. But if you hap- it happens to be in that particular year that there are dates in one of these places around for longer, later than you normally expect, you don't ignore them because, oh, well, it says in the Brita only until Pesach. It says in the... Thing. No, if there's a place that, or it says, oh, we can only go by Tekoa. We can't go by... What do you mean? If there's another place that that year has a crop of olives that happened to be uh, of good quality and lasted past the time of the Tekoa's olives lasted. So that's also good. As long as it's available in your region. We said there are three regions, right? There's the Galil and there's Eber Yarden and there's Yehuda. So in your region, as long as there is a place that has these items available in the field, you can still eat. And we, these are all rules of thumb. It's kind of like we use for a lot of things that we say, oh, well, you know, you, you don't have to worry about Kemach Yashan until around Sukkot or Rosh Hashanah. Sukkot. It's not exact. It, probably, it could be later than that. It could be a little bit earlier, some would say. But, you know, we use a rule of thumb to, unless we have a, a reason to believe otherwise. Now, Siman Neharim Milin. The sign of, of, uh, of uh, mountains, meaning Mountains are known for having good gold nut trees, but not any other type of tree. Don't go picking fruits in the mountains because they don't get, they, it doesn't get enough sun probably, or uh, it doesn't, it, they don't grow as well. The, the fruits don't grow as well. Siman Amakim, if you're looking for valleys, the Kalim, that's where you will find the best uh, dates. They will find the best dates in the valleys. And also, if you go on a date, if you take your wife to, you could take your wife there. Siman Khalim Kanim, the sign of a, uh, a river is that you see Kanim, you see uh, reeds there. Siman Shfela Shikma. If you're looking for the lowlands, you'll find sycamore trees. It's so interesting that the word Shikma and sycamore are obviously from the same, probably Greek. I would, I would have guessed, but actually it's in the Tanakh, right? The word Shikma, I think, is in the Tanakh. It's very interesting that it made its way to English because obviously shikma and sycamore are not accidentally similar. Maybe the Greeks took it from Hebrew and we got it from there because sycamore sounds Greek. I, I don't know. I would look into it. That's something Steinsaltz would probably talk about. Something that, yeah. Yeah, it's in, it's in, the, it's in the Tanakh. 
Um, it, 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 it must have come through Greek or something to English. I don't know. It sounds Greek, but uh, I'm sure Steinsaltz talks about it in one of his notes or something like that. Um, anyway, even though there is no um, uh, obvious proof, there is a hint to it, uh, the idea that the lowlands had a lot of sycamore trees, because it says in the Pasuk about Shlomo HaMelech, that uh, the king uh, made, the, uh, made silver in Jerusalem, it was like rocks. It's kind of like a current economic situation where the, with the dollar, you know? And he made the, uh, he made, uh, uh, Erez is like, you know, um, cedar tree, like the most expensive, fancy tree became like, became like sycamore tree, which is a more commonplace tree. Asher Bishfela. Right, that was in the lowland thereof. In other words, there were so many arazim. There were so many cedar trees, which was considered a rare tree. Wow, a cedar tree, big deal. He made them as 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 commonplace as you would find sycamore trees in the lowlands. Okay, so the um, it, it's trying to show you there that if you read the story of Shlomo Melech, it's basically talking about how the economy was booming so much that like silver was worthless, and even gold was like uh, you know was it, 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 there was so much wealth. So that, but, but anyway, it says there that there's a lot of sycamore trees in the lowlands, so that's a good hint for that. Um, so let's go back to what we said before, that the mountains are known for having good gallnut trees. So it's, we said that the trees that grow in the valleys usually are the date palms. So, so the significance of that is for Bikurim, because we're always supposed to bring the best for Bikurim. First of all, you only bring Bikurim, first fruits from the seven special fruits of Eretz Israel, And you shouldn't bring from the uh, date palms that are in the uh, that are in the mountains, because as we just said, those are not the best. And you also should not bring from other fruits. And there he's talking about wheat, and he's talking about like uh, the grains. You shouldn't bring the ones from the valleys, because as we said, in the in the mountains, the only tree that w- really grows well is the gallnut tree, which is not one of the shivat minim. And in the valleys, you, you could get dates from there because those are very good, huh? Gallnut is something that they use when they're uh, when they're preparing sifrei uh, Torah when they prepare the. Uh, it's a type of a nut, yeah. So I'm not sure what it's called in current Hebrew. I don't even know exactly how to identify the tree, but I know that it's a type of tree that they take oh, these. They take these nuts from. I'm not. It's called gallnut. Yeah, gall gallnut. Yeah, it's something that they put in. They they treat the uh, they treat the um, the uh, uh, with me'afatzim. It's called me'afatzim, right? Gallnut juice is me'afatzim in Hebrew in 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 the Talmud. I'm saying, but anyway, the um, in in the Gemara it's called afatzim. I don't know what's called today. Um, so the, in any case, they, the point was that you could bring from the dates from the valleys, it but you should Mara not bring... Translates. What does it say? It goes Mara. Okay. So that's just telling... I don't know if that's a descriptor or a name. Like yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a, that sounds like... It goes in Golnas, it goes in regular. Oh, it doesn't say anything else? Yeah. That's, it, what you're talking about is a medical condition. That's... Uh, Right? Yeah, that was, that was kidney stone. stone. Yeah, gallbladder stone, yeah. Anyway, no, that's not the point. Now, so the, so the, the thing is, so the fruits, the shivata minim, if you're bringing dates, bring it from the valley because the valley has good dates. Don't bring it from the mountains. And if you're bringing other kinds of fruits, don't bring them from the valley, including wheat and barley and stuff like that. It doesn't get enough sun in the valley. It's probably not as good. And so therefore, you shouldn't use that. Siman khalim kanim, the sign of nechalim, of, uh, of a nachal, a wadi or a, or, a, or a river is that you have reeds there. Nafkamina le etan. So because when we come and we bring the egla arufa, 
We want to bring the Eglar Ufa, which is when we have an unsolved homicide in between two uh, cities, and we bring the uh, we bring this calf to a place which is it says Nachal Etan, which a, it's an arid land and it's by water, and you uh, and you and you decapitate the calf. So it says the sign that you're near a place that's called a Nachal is that you see reeds. Okay, Siman the Shvela Shikma. We said that the lowlands are are indicated by having sycamore trees. So So the sign is for if you purchase lowlands from somebody, you purchase a property. Property, you expect there to be sycamore trees. If you sh- if you paid money and you show up and there are no sycamore trees, you could say it is mekach taot. It is uh, an invalid sale because I I wanted lowlands and this doesn't have sycamore trees and sycamore trees are supposed to be there. And and in fact, once we bring up the idea of of, of uh, purchases, you could actually apply that to all of these. Kulunami could say that all of these things are important for that meaning. If I buy uh, a mountain from somebody. Okay, they, they used to only sell you bridges back in the day. You know, they, they didn't sell you mountains. They said, "I have a bridge to sell." You. But now they have mountains. So, they, so in in those days, they had mountains to sell you. So, um, if they sell you a mountain, um, they it, it, and it doesn't have uh, one of the, it doesn't have gallnut trees on it. Oh, that that's not a mountain. You didn't give me a full mountain. I expected a mountain that had. So, in other words, you could say that all of these signs are signs. Meaning, if I buy a nachal, if I buy a, a an, an emek, if I buy a property that has one of these terms, a valley, a lowland, it's expected to have one of it's these characteristics. It. Yeah, it's saying the assumption. Obviously, as with all things in the name you can write in the contract. By the way, this doesn't have any, and you're taking it as is and whatever. Wow. But if you didn't do that. And you and you show up. It's like imagine you buy a house and there's no uh, electrical uh, wiring in the house. It's like, well, uh, I didn't say there was electrical wiring. I just said you should have a house. So uh, the assumption is, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm assuming that unla- that that would be the assumption is that that it would have it, and and unless it was indicated in the contract otherwise. Now, perhaps a good lawyer would 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 disagree. I don't know. Anyway, the next Mishnah says, <laughs> in a place where they have. A custom, and again, we're going to minhagim that existed in certain communities and not others. So, in a place where they have the custom to sell small animals to non-Jews, they do. And we learned about this in in Masechet Avodah that they had a stringency. Really, the concern was mainly about selling larger animals to the non-Jews um, for different reasons that are discussed over there in uh, in in Masechet Avodah But the primary one is that they were worried that you might lend your animal. The main reason that they gave in the end was that you might lend your animal to the non-Jew, and he's going to work it on Shabbat. Okay, that was the that was the main reason that's given. There were other reasons too, but the main reason. Now the uh, so it, so that didn't really apply to small animals. Meaning, there's no work to do with a sheep or the little 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 animals. Yeah. Only with the large animals that they pull tractors or they pull the plows. I mean, or whatever, right? So so they in a place. So that wasn't really under the gzera of the large animals. Uh, but in some places, they had a custom also not to sell, sell small animals uh, to the non-Jews. And then, so in a place where they have that custom, you have to observe it. We don't ever sell them large animals. And the reason, as I said, the main reason is because we don't want them to work the animal on Shabbat. And if it's their animal and they bought it from you, it's no big deal. But if you see that a Jewish animal is in the hands of a non-Jew, you might think you could rent out your animals, your oxen, let's say, uh, to a non-Jew, and then actually he's working your animal on Shabbat, which is prohibited for you. And so that's why we don't do that. And also, I, uh, even agalim, even the young animals, like the young calves, the young, uh, uh, the young horses, 
or camels or whatever, whether they are shalem, whether they are healthy or broken. Meaning, you might think that if they are not healthy, then obviously the non-Jew is not going to work them. He's going to eat them. He's planning on slaughtering and eating it. So you might think it's okay. But no, since we made the blanket not to sell them, we don't care whether it's large, small, whole, broken. It doesn't matter. However, Rabbi Yehuda says, since you could tell in that case that they're definitely not going to keep it around and there won't be any use of it on Shabbat, you could give them one that is broken, that is a damaged uh, animal. Ben said, you're allowed uh, uh, with a horse. Now, uh, we, we saw this all in Masechet Avodah by the way, but the um that you're allowed to sell them a horse. Why? Because what do they do with a horse? They ride a horse. And riding on an animal is not considered melacha for the animal because we have a principle of chayno setatzmo that really carrying a person in Rashut Rabim is not considered a melacha because the, la- the living person participates in their own, you know, carrying in a certain sense. Like there's a difference between dead weight and live weight. The person's actually participating in, in carrying themselves. Chayno setatzmo. So therefore, it's not really considered a melacha. So since they, what they're going to use the horse for is for people to ride on it and that's not really a melacha Shabbat. So therefore, you can get away with selling them horses according to Ben Bitteram, which is the main thing that the Gemara is going to focus on, that the uh, and, and is most uh, uh, relevant to uh, our Masechet, is a place where they would eat roasted meat on the night of Pesach, Ochlein, they're allowed, and in a place where they didn't eat, they didn't eat. Now, there were places that they didn't eat because they didn't want it to look like they were eating Korban Pesach outside the Bet HaMikdash. People will come over and see roasted meat. They think that you made a Korban Pesach, an illidim, you know, illegitimate, illicit Korban Pesach outside of the Beit Hamikdash, so therefore, um, so therefore, um, there were places where they have a minhag not to eat roasted meat. Now the Gemara is going to focus on that. The Gemara says, "Amar Rabbi Damar Rab, Asul Oladam Sheyomar Basar Zel Pesach." Right, Pesachu. This is a very famous halacha that a person is not supposed to say about meat. This is for Pesach. Basar Zel Pesach. Now most people interpret this. Most of the commentaries interpret this as referring to a live animal. That you said about the animal, Zela Pesach, meaning people will think you're designating it as Korban Pesach. And that's not good, even though you didn't mean that. You meant the holiday of Pesach. You meant you're having it for Pesach dinner. But it sounds like you're saying Zela Pesach. No, However, then nobody would say that. Well, that's why they say today, but the Avad, you know, that's well, everyone. That, uh, Pesach, uh, this is the, remember the if you Pesach. look at that, yeah, but you're not supposed to lift it, you know. That's the one thing you're not you supposed to pick up. Yeah, that's why. That's why. Because it looks like you. Right. But the point is that in the times of the. In their time, like this is why Rabbi Vadia says, he says nowadays if a person did it, definitely it's not. Nobody thinks that anymore. Nobody even thinks about the korban pesach anymore, right? But in those days, you have a you have an animal, a sheep. You say, oh, this is la pesach. You say, oh, that's your pe- the korban pesach. Oh, you know, you, you, you it looks like you just designated korban pesach. So, you, so that's how most interpret it. Rashi here though it says it's talking about the meat. Actually, even the meat, you're not supposed to say Zela Pesach because a person will construe that to mean that you're going to sell that meat and use the money to, to buy a Korban Pesach, which is another type of consecration that you could do. That's how Rashi interpreted it. If you look at the Rashi on the Mishnah, he says... The raw meat? Yeah, because you might say, oh, this meat is La Pesach, meaning I'm going to sell it and I'm going to buy a live animal now for uh, my Korban Pesach. That's what a person will think. And that's why you shouldn't do that. Right, and then you go and you heat up that steak and you eat it and it looks like you are eating something that was actually hekdish. It wouldn't even have to be a sheep or it wouldn't have to be lamb because you, according to Rashi, the concern is that you designated it for uh, mamon, for the money. It was, hek, it was hek, what we call like Kedushat Damim. You designated it to use the money from it to buy a Korban Pesach is the un- misunderstanding a person could have. Right? Now, Amar Papa Papa says, Davka Basar, that's only with meat. Aval Chitei Lo, Dementale Pischak, Amar, 
right? Everybody knows if you say this wheat is for Pesach, that you don't mean that you are going to sell the wheat and buy a Korban Pesach. You mean you're going to make it from Matzah. So there we don't have the problem. But with meat, we have the concern. Is it really true that you cannot... Uh, that, that when it comes to meat, we have that stringency like this, that, that people will misunderstand. What about, we have a, we have a problem with that. Meitavei raised an objection. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi said, Todos Ishromi, this person called Todos, um, a Roman uh, a noble person, but he was a Jewish Roman, okay? Very strange. He created a custom in Rome that they would make a Mikulas, like the way that they would do the Korban Pesach. In other words, they would slaughter the Gidi, the, the, the lamb, okay? And they would hang it and roast it with the, in, the innards, like the entrails and everything, separate, also hung up next to the body of the uh, of, of the lamb, like the way that they would roast the korban pesach, and he made this custom in Rome. Now that looks like a very odd thing because it basically looks like the people are doing korban pesach in Rome. And what happened? So Shalchulo, the rabbis wrote to him and said, or sent him a message that il male If you were not todos, who was such a good guy, we're going to see that he was a he was considered a good person. Okay, then gazarnu alecha nidui. We would have to excommunicate you because because you are causing people you are you are feeding people korbanot outside of Yerushalayim really? are you kidding? he wasn't feeding them kodesh. he wasn't feeding them korbanot he was just suggesting to them that this was a nice meal commemorative meal on the night of Pesach he, he didn't think it was a korban what he meant was you're coming close to it why? because it looks like korbanot and people are going to misunderstand okay so the Gemara asks what do you see from that? you see mikulas in shen mikulas lo where do we where are we concerned that people will misunderstand um, the, the, well, we're only under, we're only concerned about that in a case of this gidi mikulas. In a case where we're hanging up this gidi, we're hanging up this lamb. Rashi says, According to Rav, even a regular piece of meat that you call say this is for Pesach is going to be misunderstood. So, but here it doesn't sound like that. Here it sounds like their only problem was with something that actually looks like a korban Pesach hanging up. Now with a piece of meat that you said this is going to be for Pesach, that maybe now you're going to sell it and you're going to take the money and you're going to buy a korban Pesach. I'm reading it according to Rashi's interpretation right so that not that he's talking that he's not talking about a live animal but he's comparing the case of todos to the case of a piece of meat okay so the answer so, so how could you say if it's really true that any piece of meat that you say this is for Pesach is a problem why do you have to go so far as to find the case of todos that he has an actual thing that looks like Korban Pesach it says no it says uh, so it says Amre Meaning, there's two things. If you make something that actually looks like the Korban Pesach, it's hanging up there roasting, then you don't have to say anything. It looks like a Korban Pesach, right? So that's a problem in and of itself. But even if you have a piece of meat and you say, Zela Pesach, you said something that sounds like you're going to use it for Korban Pesach, that's a problem because you verbalized it. In other words, there's two different things. One is the optics, what it looks like, and the other one is the verbalizing. Okay, that's the, so it's two different cases altogether. Now it says, that Rav Acha had a version of this story of Todos that it was in accordance with Rabbi Shimon, meaning that Todos himself was following the position of, that Rabbi Shimon was reporting Todos approvingly. Amar, that really it should say, Amar Rabbi Shimon, Todos Ishromi. 
that Rabbi Shimon said, Todos Ishromi would do this, and then the rabbi said not to. Right? But originally it was based upon Rabbi Shimon. How so? So, uh, because Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion, um, as we're going to see, that we learned about it actually in a long time ago in Masechet Menachot, but that was, seems like uh, ages ago now. But basically we have, a, we have a question. When a person makes a commitment, they say, this animal is an Ola and a Shlamim. What do you do now? You know, you said both. You have, do you go by Lashon Rishon, first one, second one? Or the case of Rabbi Shimon, that the, class, the case that he specifically mentions is, a person says, I'm mitnadev, I, I'm, I'm volunteering, I'm going to give a mincha, I'm going to give a, a, a flower offering from barley. Now, that's not possible. A, a person who gives a, an, an offering, a flower offering, it's always wheat. It's never barley. So there's no such thing. It comes under the so, category of uh, a vow which is not valid. Right. But the question is, what do we do with that? So we had two opinions, if you remember, or two or three opinions, at least, in, uh, in the Gemara, which was one is, A person says something, they mean something by it. We have to find some interpretation. So do we take the first thing that he said and discard the second thing? Do we say that, no, we have to take the whole thing together and since it makes no sense, we throw it out altogether? What do we do? So Rabbi Yossi, we're going to see Rabbi Yossi's of the opinion that if they say two things that are, that let's say he says it's a Olan Shlamim, so then you give it the Kiddushav both and you have to sell it and take half the money to buy an Olan, half the money to buy a Shlamim or something like that. But basically the, um, the, the, the question, it would go according to Rabbi Shimon. How would it go according to Rabbi Shimon? Because Rabbi Shimon says that if a person says something that makes no sense, Okay, if the person says, I'm going to bring a korban from the seorim, okay, en bidvarav klum. He didn't say anything because there's no such thing as that. And so Rashi says in the same way with gedim mekulas, it's not really like a korban outside of the Beit HaMikdash because he didn't declare that it was a korban at all. And even if he had done it after they were roasting it, you can't designate a korban now. It's too late. So what's the problem? According to Rabbi Shimon, there's no problem over here of misunderstanding because it's too late. Nobody could misconstrue it as any kind of a korban, according to Rabbi Shimon. And therefore, we don't have the concern that a person is going to uh, reach that conclusion. Right, so that's what Rashi says. It's just like, uh, right, yeah, so he says, since in this case, there's no way, he didn't designate it in any way beforehand, and right now designation would be meaningless, and what does Rabbi Shimon say? A meaningless statement, we throw it out, we ignore it. So we would ignore it anyway, so we're not concerned. Okay, that's what, that would be Rabbi Shimon. Now, that makes sense, according to those who say that Rabbi Shimon was following Rabbi Yossi. Now, in other words, according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi is of the, says that if you have statements that are, uh, that are doubled, like you, for instance, um, if you have, you say, I want this korban to be Ola and Shlamim, right? He says, Tmuat Ola, Tmuat Shlamim, whatever. So then Rabbi Yossi says, since you had that idea to begin with, and both of them cannot be true, so what do we have to do? We have to sell, we have to wait till it gets a moom, and then we have to, uh, and then we have to uh, treat it as both, okay? Because Rabbi Shimon, there's two possibilities. And Rabbi Shimon himself considers himself to be following Rabbi Yossi. But the question is whether he really does or not. What was Rabbi Yossi's point? Was Rabbi Yossi's point that if you say two things, we can't discount either of them. So we have to take both. Or was his point that if you say two things, we can't discount the second thing. 
Okay, we don't just look at the first thing. We also look at the second thing. Now, there's a big difference. Because if you say that whenever a person says two contradictory things, we have to take both of them into account. Okay, so in the case of saying it's an Ola and it's a Shlamim, you're going to have both. In a case where you, you're not just going to say Ola because that was the first thing he said. You're going to take both. In a case where the guy says, I'm going to bring him in Khan, it's going to be from barley. You take both of those statements. So you, he can't bring one of barley, but he'll still have the one of, uh, that he said he's going to bring him in Khan. So he has to bring one of wheat. Or do you say, no, Rabbi Yossi is saying you look at the last statement that he said and you take everything together. You have to take everything together. So if that's true, so when he says two things like it's an Ola Nishlamim, there's a way to satisfy both of those. You make it an Ola Nishlamim. But in the case of the Minchas, since he says, I'm going to bring him in Khan, the Minchas is going to be of barley, they can't go together. So therefore, there, so therefore, there's nothing. Which one is it? If you hold, if Rabbi Shimon is, is actually following Rabbi Yossi, so in other words, it does Rabbi Yossi's opinion accord with Rabbi Shimon's interpretation of it is going to be the question. Right? So if you hold, the man de tane like Rabbi Yossi, nicha. But according to the one that says that, it, that it's Rabbi Shimon, how could it work? That we said that, uh, that Rabbi Shimon says he, he exempts the person because his, his, uh, his, um, the thing that he, that he committed to do is not It's not in the normal way of doing things. It's not something that makes sense because you can't bring a barley korban in the, um, in the, uh, you know, as an individual korban. Okay. So therefore, it, 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 so th- th- according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi could be understood to say that no, in a case where you say, I'm going to bring a minchan, it's going to be barley that he brings a minchan wheat. Because you take both statements. But according to Rabbi Shimon, it won't work. Okay, Fa'amarava. He would come to say that the fact that they said he's going to bring it, he misspoke and he should bring the correct And he's correct. Well, if, if that's what he meant. If that's what he meant. If that's what he meant, then yeah. That's what he says. Imnit kaven lekach. If that's what he thought. Yeah. So now, Amale Ravina Ravashi. Ravina Sato Ravashi. Man de matnelak Rabbi Yossi minicha. Does it work out according to Rabbi Yossi? Fa'amarava. Rabbi Shimon. Bishitat Rabbi Yossi Amara. Rabbi Shimon was following Rabbi Yossi. Damar af bigmar dvarava dam nitfas. My love, midi Rabbi Shimon savalak Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi nami savalak Rabbi Shimon. Don't we interpret that Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon are really saying the same thing? In other words, Rabbi Shimon claimed to be representing the view of Rabbi Yossi. That when a person says two things, okay, you can't discount the second thing. You have to put them together. Okay, so that means if they're contradictory, you get zero. If they could both be uh, taken, you take both of them. What you don't do is you don't discount the second statement because of the first statement. Okay, but, but so that's how Rabbi Shimon interpreted it. But the question is, does Rabbi Yossi agree with that? And the answer is, they said, no, not necessarily. Rabbi Shimon Zavalak Rabbi Yossi. Below Rabbi Yossi Zavalak Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon thought he was representing Rabbi Yossi, but Rabbi Yossi didn't necessarily agree that he was being represented by Rabbi Shimon. In other words, according to Rabbi Yossi, his idea could just be that you can't ignore the second statement. It doesn't mean that you, uh, that you automatically have to be able to fit the first and the second statements. It's just that you can't ignore the second statement. So when they don't fit together, he says you made two statements. One of them made sense, one of them didn't. So we take the one that made sense. When you say two statements that can be fit together, then we take both of them. Rabbi Shimon was saying, no, what it means is that you take both of them all the time. And if the two don't fit together, then you get nothing. Okay. Either way, the idea here would be that we say over here by the gedi, by when it comes to the um, 
when it comes to this uh, situation of todos, right? Says, he says, In other words, Rabbi Yossi might say that even though it's true, you see, according to Rabbi Shimon, if something doesn't make sense, the two things contradict each other, you throw them out. So here, it's not Kedir Hamit Nadvim. You don't give a Korban Pesach when it's already meat. You don't do that. It's too late to designate it. So therefore, a person, there's no concern that the person is going to say or think that this is a Korban Pesach now. Okay, so therefore we throw it out altogether. But Rabbi Yossi will say no. Just because that's not the normal way to consecrate a Pesach, maybe what the person means is that they're consecrating the meat for money and the money is then going to be used to buy a Korban Pesach for next year. How do you know that that's not true? And therefore actually the person by eating it is technically taking something that is actually Hekdesh because it's really designated for money for a Korban for next year. In other words, Rabbi Yossi, we could interpret as actually saying that um, you would still have a problem with Todos because in the case of Todos, you would have the issue that we could interpret a possible Hekdesh in that situation as having a meaning, as meaning I'm designating the money. Rabbi Shimon would say it's not Kedir Hamit Nadvim, it's not the normal way that you, that you consecrate a uh, meat that's already slaughtered and you take the money and you buy a Korban Pesach. It's not normal. Why would you do that? Right? So therefore we throw it out altogether. So according to Rabbi Shimon, that's why Todos was comfortable with letting the people do that because there was no concern that they were going to conceive of it or think of it or say of it that it was a Korban Pesach. But the other Chachamim were worried that if a person were to say this is a Korban Pesach, they could actually end up designating it as a Korban Pesach inadvertently. Let's just try to finish up this piece here. So, t- so then the question is like this. They asked the question, Todos Was Todos the man of Rome a good guy or a bad guy? Okay, in other words, was he a tzaddik and that's why they didn't want to excommunicate him or he was a tough guy and therefore they didn't want to, they were scared of him. Tashma, we, we see that he actually taught a Dvar Torah, so obviously he must have been a decent guy because it says, How did the Chananya Mishel and were thrown into the Kibshana Esh? They were thrown into the uh, fiery furnace. We know that's very famous, right? And then we survived. So, had, what did they, what was their thought? They said, they did a kalvachom, they said, from the frogs, the frogs of, uh, of Paro. It, in, yeah, it's this week's parasha. The frogs obviously don't have a mitzvah to sanctify God's name. And yet it says that they went into the ovens of Paro. When do you have the um, bowls of the mixing bowls next to the uh, oven? That's Havayomer. So obviously the tanur is hot. They went into the hot ovens, okay? So meaning, the tzvardeim, the 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 um, the in the time of Paro, they went into they the ovens, the right? Fire. Even though it was a hot oven, they jumped into the hot flame they because Hashem the commanded them to do it. So anu Hashem. We have a mitzvah doing that. We definitely have to jump into the flame. So he, since you see that he ta- taught divrei Torah, he, he emphasized to people the importance of even giving their life for the sake of Torah. Obviously, he was a tzaddik, and that's why they didn't want to excommunicate him. Moreover, it says, "Am Rabbi Yosi, that he used to give things to the Tamil Chachamim, meaning he would actually give them like things on consignment, it sounds like. He would give them schorah. He would give them uh, goods to sell 
and be able to uh, make money from it. Obviously, he would. That doesn't necessarily mean he would give charity, but meaning to say that he would be a partner with them. He would say, "Here, go sell this. Go this. We'll 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 split the money." And that way, he helped the Talmud Chachamim. So that was very nice of him. So and it, and it says. Anybody who does that, who supports somebody Chachamim, so he's going to have the, he's going to be able to sit in the yeshiva shel mala, in the up, the uh, heavenly yeshiva. Because it says the uh, the shadow of wisdom is in the shadow of money, meaning the person provides the money, so therefore he gets to also sit in the shadow of wisdom um, uh, as a result of that in the yeshiva shel mala. So that is uh, what Todos was. So he was a good guy, but the problem was. That he he was doing something that could be miscon either looked like it was a korban pesach or could have caused people to say something that would inadvertently be consecrating it as a korban pesach, especially according to Rabbi Yossi's interpretation and the Chachamim's interpretation that we take a we can interpret something we can interpret a statement in a uh, not its conventional meaning. Um, and and t- and interpret it as a as a hekdish, even when that might not be what's intended. So therefore, they were concerned about that. Rabbi Shimon, as we said, wouldn't be concerned about that because he said even if they say this is Pesach, everyone knows that that's not the way that you can that you that you uh, consecrate a korban Pesach, and nobody would take it seriously, and then it would be okay.